open your Bibles today, if you would please, to the book of Luke chapter 10. We're taking a break from our study in Matthew, and I'd like for us to look in this text in Luke, which is the story of Mary and Martha and a visit that Jesus made to their house very near the end of his life. Uh, This was primarily a teaching time for Jesus. The early part of Jesus' ministry had been characterized by miracles, just some very uncommon supernatural things that Jesus did. And people would say about him, there's nobody that can do these things unless he has come from God. Uh, He healed the sick. He caused the blind to see. He caused the crippled to walk again. And amazingly, Jesus even raised some people from the dead. And one of those was Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha. But as we look in this particular scripture, this is a much later time in Jesus' ministry. And as Luke writes, he doesn't so much focus on the miracle-working Jesus, but now he's focusing on Jesus in his teaching ministry. And Jesus left some very important lessons for us. J.C. Ryle, who is a minister from the 19th century, wrote, So long as the world stands, the story of Mary and Martha will furnish the church with lessons of wisdom which ought never to be forgotten. Today, my subject is women, work, and worship. And I think there's something that we can learn from this very brief account that we have in Luke chapter 10. So if you found that scripture, if you'd stand with me for just a moment as we read God's word. Luke chapter 10, let's begin reading at verse number 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village... And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. We thank you again for our mothers that are here. And we just pray, Lord, that this message might be a blessing, not only to mothers, but to every woman, every man, every person in the room today. We just thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word and what we learn from it. We give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This is, of course, a very brief account that we've just read concerning Mary and Martha. And if this was all in the scripture that we knew about them, then it might be somewhat difficult, though not impossible, to take the story that we have here and apply it to our lives today. I've chosen this today as the Mother's Day message But we notice in what we've just read that there is no word spoken here about mothers or their children. The scriptures do not say that either of these women were married, nor much less does it say that they had children. And there are many people who look at this and they read the story and they see in this that this is Martha's house that we're talking about. That since she was the dominant person in the household that most likely she was a widow. But we really don't know whether she was a mother, and we don't know if she had, of course, children. So why would I choose this particular story? Well, I chose it 
actually for the wisdom that it contains. And there's insight that I think that can be gained here for any woman. It makes no difference whether you're single or you're married. There's some good lessons that we can learn here that will help you to be a good woman, a good worker, and a good worshiper. About two weeks ago, I received an email from a friend of mine that spoke of the wisdom of mothers, and the title of this email was 25 Lessons My Mother Taught Me. I want to read these to you, just a few of them, and perhaps you can identify this. You, you may recognize your own mother saying these kinds of things. Number one is, my mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. My mother taught me religion. You better pray that that comes out of the carpet. My mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me about weather. This room of yours looks as if a tornado went through it. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. My mother taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when you get home. My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me how to become adult. If you don't grow up and eat, or if you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. My mother taught me genetics. You are just like your father. My mother taught me about my roots. Shut that door behind you. Do you think you were born in a barn? And my favorite, my mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they grow up to be just like you. Well, that's wisdom of mothers, and I think that we can look into the passage today and we can find much greater wisdom than that. And I hope that we can discover something from this passage today that Jesus says about women, work, and worship. Let me begin with just a little bit of background to the story. As I said earlier, this occurs towards the end of Jesus' life, in the last six years of his life. Jesus had left Galilee and he was making his way through all the towns and the villages of Judea. And he was telling the people about who he was, and he was also teaching his disciples some very important lessons. And there are many interesting things that we find out about Jesus' life, and perhaps that is the biggest understatement that I could make, since his life is the most important of any person that has ever lived. But one of the most interesting comments that Jesus made was about his living conditions. And you may remember this, uh, it's actually in the chapter just before this, in chapter 9, Jesus said, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus didn't own a home, and so we might draw from that statement that he was a hobo, that he was an indigent who was begging for his existence. But really, Jesus was nothing of the sort, because there were many places where he went where there were people that would welcome him into their homes, and they would gladly receive his teachings. He lived by the gospel. He never resorted to begging to get anyone to feed him. And we might well imagine that that would be true because this is Jesus, the one who had taken five loaves and two fish and turned it into a meal for 5,000 people. 
So Jesus really didn't have trouble getting people to receive them into their homes. They invited him in, and many times he would spend the night. Uh, When Jesus was traveling, he would send out advance parties. He sent the disciples, and they would go into the different towns and villages, and they would make preparations for Jesus to come. And there were, as I said, many people who welcomed him, some who wouldn't and wouldn't listen to him. But Jesus always found a place where they would take him in. And this is why we find him on this occasion in the home of Mary and Martha. Uh, These two ladies lived in Bethany, which is just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. And Mary and Martha were acquainted with Jesus. They had become good friends with him. And they were two ladies that loved Jesus very much. But they were also two different women. They were women that had different personalities. And so they related to Jesus on different levels. So we're going to take a look at these two ladies today, and I think we can learn something from Jesus' interaction with them. Now, first we'll look at Martha, and Martha is who we could call the diligent worker. Martha was the owner of the house. Uh, She was one of those types of women that was always busy. She was always working. She was the whirlwind type of lady, so that before Ajax was ever invented, she was the original white tornado And if you gave her an earring and shaved off her head, she'd be mistaken for Mr. Clean. Well, there are two outstanding characteristics that we find about Martha in this regard. Uh, First of all, she focused on her home. Her life was actually her home. I, I don't think that women in those days had last names, but her last name might very well have been Stuart. So she was the original Martha Stuart. Uh, Her home had to be just right. Uh, It had to be clean. She didn't like stains and spots. She doesn't like dust. She didn't like any of those things. You know, that reminds me of my wife. She's very much like that, and that's a good characteristic for a woman to have, I think. Uh, My wife doesn't like the floors to be dirty. She doesn't like to see the spots and the stains around the house. She carries a coaster around, so when I'm ready to set down a glass, she's right there to slide it underneath. She cares about her home. And that's a great characteristic, to be a person who's neat and orderly. When our children, our girls, were growing up, they um, often joked that they didn't get to play with dolls. They played with the vacuum cleaner, and they pushed it around wherever they went. Well, Martha was that kind of lady. I mean, she was one who loved her home. She lived, and she worked to get everything just right. And on this particular occasion, she was playing the homemaker. She had a guest in her home. Jesus was there, and she wanted everything to be just right. All the dishes had to be in the right place. The uh, forks had to be on the proper side of the plates. The napkins had to be folded just right. Food had to be cooked to perfection. This was her home, and she was proud of it. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment, and I, I want to give you a little bit of a lesson here. There's nothing wrong with being a woman who's a keeper at home. I mean, keeping your home and taking care of your children is the greatest job that you can have. You need to be the one that raises them and loves them and takes care of children. I know that might be a little bit too much Ozzie and Harriet for most of you, but there's nothing greater than a woman can do. There's nothing inferior about being a homemaker. And so if you have to stay at home and you have to do it a little bit less, then that's fine. Uh, People shouldn't look down on you because you don't work in a corporate environment. If your home is the place where you work and that's your career, then nobody knows it better than you, Then you are a hard worker. And you have things that you have to do. And this was Martha's life. She was someone who was focused on her home. We also notice here that she focused on hospitality. 
Martha had this great gift for hospitality, and so she welcomed Jesus into her home. She was willing to share her food with him, and she did all the work that was necessary to make the guest feel comfortable. And here is another area where I commend my wife. If you come to our house for a meal, I promise you, she'll serve you. And she'll be busy about it. And, and she often doesn't even stop long enough to, to eat the meal herself. She wants to make sure that you have everything. And so she doesn't even want you to clean up when it's after, when, when everything's over. And that's the way that Martha was. She's up to her elbows in flour. She's popping stuff into the oven. She's putting a design on the icing and the cake. She's moving throughout that kitchen like she's on a three-day caffeine trip. I mean, she was, had this really godly virtue of hospitality. And I remember when I was growing up that our home was like that. We often had people visiting in our home and it wasn't unusual for us to have visiting preachers there. Uh, my father was the... Uh, was a trustee of a Bible college. And whenever students could not afford tuition or place to, to live while they were going to Bible college, many times they would come and stay with us. And I don't ever remember a time when my mother begrudgingly had people in the home, but she always served them, she took care of them, and she made people think that her home was their home. And this is something the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about hospitality. Peter wrote, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And did you know that Jesus taught that when you show kindness to a person who is a believer and you help them, he says that you're actually doing it to me? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee we a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now you see, you may not have the opportunity to have Jesus physically in your home. But he can be there present in other believers. And so when you welcome them into your home and when you share a meal with them, when you ask them to spend the night and when you help them, it's the same as if Jesus was there. And we ought to very carefully consider that because not to do it is to mean that, or if you do the opposite, if you're not friendly, if you won't share, if you don't help people, then the scriptures teach that you have also refused Jesus. Ladies, Jesus wants to be in your home. So take some time to get to know the people in your church. Invite them over for a meal. Serve them gladly. Hospitality is a great Christian virtue. In fact, Jesus was dependent upon it. In order for him to fulfill the last part of his ministry especially, he depended on people who would take him in and would take care of him. So there's nothing at all wrong with this. Martha was a person who loved her home. She loved hospitality. And this was Martha's way of showing that she believed in Christ and she wanted to serve him. So Martha is the diligent worker. Now we look at Mary, and Mary was a different type of person. Mary was the devoted worshiper. 
These two women are sisters with different personalities. Martha is the one who is the doer. She's always busy. She was always oriented towards the home. But Mary was a different person. If you called her home and, or their home and you got Mary instead of Martha and you said, hey Mary, we're, and we're in town and we're going to stop by your house for a little while and see you. And Mary would say, great, great. I'll have Lazarus stop and pick up some KFC before he gets home. I mean, she wasn't going to go into the kitchen and cook anything for you. And when she prepared to clean up before you got there, she was the type, you know, stuffs all the dirt and the clothes underneath the couch cushions. And some of you can probably identify with that. You may do the same. So Mary was a person with a simpler life. Cooking and cleaning were not her forte. But Mary also believed in Jesus. And when Jesus was coming to town, she was excited about that because she loved to listen to what Jesus said. She loved his words. And so her focus was much different than Martha. She focused on love. Now, I don't mean that she was a flower child. You know, someone has said you can tell when you're over 40 because you can't live on love anymore. But this is not what this means. She focused on worshiping Jesus. She was devoted to him. Verse 39 says that when Jesus came into the house, she sat down at his feet. And you know what that is? Well, in those days, when you sat at someone's feet, it meant that you were in submission to them. It meant that you honored that person, that you respected them, and you understood that you aren't their equal. And I think sometimes we're a bit confused about that when it comes to Jesus. You know, I've never read in all the scriptures where there was a time when someone came up to Jesus and put their arms around him and gave him a bear hug. Well, that's often the picture that we have of Jesus. We sing of Jesus being our friend and how much that he loves us, and that's true. And I would never diminish the fact that Jesus is our friend or what that means. But about 150 years ago, hymnology started changing, and there was this downgrading of the lordship of Christ, and in its place, the focus became the chummy-type Jesus. Well, Jesus is our friend. But one thing we should never lose sight of, we just should not lose this focus, that we must have a sense of respect and awe for Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's not our fishing buddy. And so when we come into his presence, we ought to come with reverence. We come into a service like this, and there always ought to be a sense that we're here to worship God. We're here to worship Jesus. And what we want to do is sit down at his feet. We want to respect him and have that all for him, that we understand Jesus is our Lord and King. And that's what Mary did. When Jesus came into the house, she sat down at his feet in worship. She loved him as a friend, but she knew him as much more than a friend. In fact, Mary had some keen insight into Jesus that the disciples didn't even have. I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 12. And here's where we find just a beautiful act of worship that came from Mary. John chapter 12. And and really, the disciples missed what's about to happen here. The the importance of it. The impact of it. John chapter 12, verse number 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper... And Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Now notice this. Martha served. Same story we find in Matthew and Mark. And there we learn this wasn't even Martha's house. This was Simon the leper's house. And evidently Martha had been asked to be a hostess. And 
She's one who loves cooking and all of that and taking care of people. So I'm sure that she gladly consented to take care and prepare the meal. Now we notice what Mary did in verse number 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Isn't that a great act of humility? Mary took this very expensive ointment and she poured it out on Jesus' feet. The reverence and humility of this, she recognized that she lived and breathed only by the grace of God. And so she didn't even take a towel. She just bent down and with her hair, she began to wipe Jesus' feet. Verse number four, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Now Judas complained about it. He had no respect at all for the lordship and the worthiness of Jesus. But now we notice that Jesus reveals what's truly in Mary's heart. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Now we wonder, what is it that prompted Mary to do this? I mean, this had to be an act of the Holy Spirit working in her heart because now she's doing something previously that hadn't been known. Mary, I'm sure, did not head to the house where Jesus was with this thought on her mind. I've got to get there. I've got to be there in a hurry. I've got to take this ointment. I've got to pour this out on Jesus' feet because he is about to die. I don't think that was her intent. But she did decide previously that no matter how much this cost and no matter how it could help her to pay her bills and and could take care of some uh, problems in her life, she could have sold it to help to do that. But instead of doing that, she thought that Jesus was worthy of it. It's not wasted. If I take this and pour it out on Jesus' feet, it won't be wasted. And when she was willing to do that, that's when the Holy Spirit opened up her heart and and, and showed that this was a foretelling of the death and the burial of Jesus. Now, Mary was a worshiper. She devoted herself to Jesus. And then when her heart was opened up to God, God touched her in a very special way. You know, that's a question I think I need to ask you. What did you come today for? Did you come here in order to worship him? And I promise you that if that's the thought, if you had it in your mind, I'm going to church today because I want to worship God, I want to worship Jesus, then I promise you that God will touch your heart in such a way that you'll feel his presence with you. So we notice that she was a person who loved the Lord. And we also see that she focused on learning now it came to pass as they went that, they, that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now Martha was busy about the food, the dishes, and the serving. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. You ever been in churches where they're just busy with all kinds of programs that are going on? I mean, have you ever been to a church where people are busy running here and there, trying to keep the schedules and make sure all the work is done, but they care very little at all about learning? There are churches where they're really focused on the busyness of ministry, but they actually neglect the most important ministry that a church can have. 
In Berean Baptist Church, the pulpit ministry takes precedent over all other ministries. Now, we love children's programs. We love having a Mother's Day banquet. We love dinners. We love our fellowships. We love our Christian school. But all of that has to take a backseat to the teaching of God's Word. And you know why that's true? It's because God's Word is the backbone that supports everything else. You can't minister in any area without the Word. Christianity is not homeless shelters and community projects and hospitals and homes for unwed mothers. Those flow out of Christianity, and they can flow out of it. But the foundation for all of that is the Word of God. The Word of God is what cleanses. Peter says that we're born again by the Word of God. And so the Word is actually the instrument that produces faith in us that convicts the sinner. You can't be a Christian without it. You can't be a Christian without the Word of God. And so if we're not busy preaching God's Word and bringing people into Christ, then everything else is moot. We preach people to people who have eternal souls that will perish if they don't know Christ as Savior. So what good is it if we have a program that feeds the hungry and we provide for the sick and then we let the soul perish? Christ didn't come to make human life more bearable. That wasn't his purpose. He stated his purpose. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we learn from Jesus. And to learn from him, we must hear and heed his words. So Martha is the worker, Mary is the worshiper. And so our question then would be, which of these focuses is better? I think we have to go to Jesus to get the answer to this. So to get the answer, thirdly, we have to look at the sisters and the disputing women. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was serving. Which of those two is better? But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost not thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Now Mary's, or Martha's focus was, was fine in its fear, but there's a problem that arises when we start to place service above worship. You can't serve until you've first taken time to worship. And if your service gets in the place of your worship or in the way, then the service wanders off track. The purpose of it becomes wrong. And we see it right here as we look at Martha. What happened to her? Well, she had the wrong consideration. Her wrong consideration was, it's all about me. Lord, my sister has left me. Therefore, bid her come and help me. Never mind who you are, Jesus. I'm the one who needs help here. And so Martha's assumption was that Mary is lazy. She needs to get up. She needs to come and help like she's supposed to. Martha's focus here is not on Jesus because when she interjected me into this, then she's suddenly susceptible to all the wrong emotions. Now she becomes impatient. But the scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. Martha became angry, but the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Martha became irritable, but the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Martha became sour, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You see, when you change the focus from Jesus to me, that's when your service wagon starts to have its wheels fall off. Have you ever noticed this about people that always serve, but they never take time to worship? They actually become weaker in their relationship that they have with Christ. They start to become weaker, and the focus shifts from what I do for the Lord to simply what I do. And now, they look at everybody else with criticizing eyes, and anybody who doesn't have the same kind of service that they have is not as good a Christian as they are. 
So if your service doesn't compare to them and what they're doing, then they don't think you're a very good Christian. And they consider people that want to listen, people that are, want to hear what Jesus says, they consider that person to be lazy. But whenever you take time to worship, that's when your attitude towards others will be right. You'll look at Jesus instead of them, and then your life will begin to shine forth with the characteristics of Jesus' life. Now, I alluded just a moment ago to Galatians chapter 5, and this is what Paul wrote concerning it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's what we see with Martha. Now, everything started out fine. Her service started out very well, but it turned into a snare to where she was provoked. And now she envies Mary. And the problem here, she didn't take time to worship. Now, it's bad. This is bad to start putting service in front of worship. But it not only caused her to be at odds with Mary, but it also caused her to be at odds with Jesus. Now there's a wedge being driven between her and Jesus. Notice what she says. Lord, don't you care? So now she has the wrong charge. Don't you care? And we say, well, hold on just a minute here. How could you say something like this to Jesus? Don't you care? Now at this point, we're dealing with the teaching ministry of Jesus. That's what's on Luke's mind. But you haven't so surely, so soon surely forgotten those miracles that Jesus did. I mean, there's the lame, the blind, the sick, the maimed, the despondent, the hopeless. There's the dead. How do you ask Jesus, don't you care? I mean, what can you imagine that Jesus was teaching to Mary? Would she come and interrupt Jesus when he's speaking of divine life and he's talking about salvation and eternity and everlasting life and happiness? Do you interrupt Jesus who is about to die for the sins of the world and ask him this question? Don't you care? Jesus, get up from there. Do something about this. There's housework to be done. The floor needs to be swept. Stop talking about washing away our sins. There's dishes to be washed. Is that crazy? Is that messed up? Well, now you know exactly how the pastor feels when I'm preaching the Word. And many of you get concerned because it's now past 12 o'clock. It's time for lunch now. And so while I'm trying to get across transforming truths, you're thinking about hamburgers. So you see what happens when you step inside the doors of the church and the purpose is wrong? You don't come here to worship. You see what's going to happen to you? But when you stop to worship and glorify God, everything else that goes on is trivial. Now, we ought not to be so hard on Martha, though, because Martha is not the only one who asks, Jesus, don't you care? How many times have you heard it? And and I hear it so many times. People say, doesn't God care? What about wars? Why is there war? Why are there earthquakes? Why did that terrible thing happen in Haiti a few weeks ago? Why is there crime? Why do people suffer? Doesn't God care? And here is God who in an act of divine mercy, love, and grace, sent Jesus into the world to die for our sins. He was put to a cruel, agonizing death. He was mocked. He was spat upon. Nails driven into his hands and feet. He suffered hell for us. And people ask, doesn't God care? What do you mean by that? You mean, does he care that we as humans are the ones that messed up the world? 
Do you mean does he care that your envy and your bitterness and your opinions and your refusal to love your neighbor as yourself, does he care that you're the cause of all of this and not him? Well, the answer to the question is, of course he cares. And that's why he sent Jesus. You see, when your head is screwed on backwards, you can't see God. What you do is you blame him for your troubles when all that God ever did was seek to right your wrongs. And the fact of the matter is, he did it at his own expense. The cost for God to fix all of this was for his own son to step down in humility from his throne in heaven, from the throne in glory, to become a man, to suffer humiliation, and to die on the cross. So how could you possibly ask, does God care? The question that God is asking is, do you care? And if you care at all, then your focus will be on him. You'll believe him. Because this world is not going to be fixed until all of us agree with God. 25 things that my mother taught me. Folks, how about 10 big ones? The 10 commitments that God taught us. My mother taught me logic because I said so. That's why. You know, funny how that's good enough for mom. But when it comes to God, I said so is never enough. It's never a reason to listen to God because he said so. Now, which is better, service or worship? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. One thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part. Now, let me quote to you again from J.C. Ryle. One thing is needful, how true that saying. The longer we live in the world, the more true it will appear. The nearer we come to the grave, the more thoroughly we shall assent to it. Health and money and lands and rank and honors and prosperity are all well in their way, but they cannot be called needful. Without them, thousands are happy in this world and reach glory in the world to come. The many things which men and women are continually struggling for are not really necessaries. The grace of God which brings salvation is the one thing needful. Let this little sentence be continually before the eyes of our minds. Let it check us when we are ready to murmur at earthly trials. Let it strengthen us when we are tempted to deny our master on account of persecution. Let it caution us when we begin to think too much of the things of this world. Let it quicken us when we are disposed to look back like Lot's wife. In all such seasons, let the words of our Lord ring in our ears like a trumpet and bring us to the right mind. One thing is needful. If Christ is ours, we have all and abound. So which is better? Worship is better than work. Now, ladies, I commend you for your work, whether it's in your home with hospitality, or it's in the church with children and music, instruction. Work is wonderful. But don't let work stand in the place of your worship. You see, you, you may clean the rooms of your children and you may take care of them, but when was the last time that you prayed with your children? When was the last time that you read the Bible to them? So you can fix their meals, get them ready to go to school. You may do the best of your work in the home and take care of your husband and all that's great. But the question is, have you taken time to sit down at the feet of Jesus? One thing is needful. And we can't lose that relationship between work and worship. 
You see, you can be a Martha. That's okay. You can be a Martha. But not until first you've been Mary. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we see just the wonderful story here about what is most important in our lives. What is most important is to know Jesus Christ, to bow at his feet before him, recognizing him as Lord, as Master, as King. And then, Lord, to devote ourselves to you. It's needful for us to hear the words of Jesus and to heed them. So I ask you, Lord, that you would speak to people today, speak to mothers, and may our homes be a place where your word is spoken, where it's taught, where we pray, where we think about you. Lord, we just pray that our focus might all the time be on worshiping at your feet. Bless each one who's come today. Speak to hearts, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would see the one thing needful. Eternal life is more important. The salvation of the soul is more important than any earthly consideration. Speak to someone today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.